you got me thinking if it was really worth it Putting it all at this effort just to end up less than perfect But on our great intentions, something used for our protection Are they just another way to force out imperfections? I guess I'm just effective, pointed in the wrong direction The library in my head has one fucked up selection Now children, pay attention, or you'll receive detention Cause after this, you'll be tested on your own reflection a a a a a a a a a Hey, what's good? What's going on? Welcome back to the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast. This is episode 69. Nice. And <laughs> we, we're almost done with the season three. We're about to wrap up soon. We got this week and next week and then we're just about done. Uh, I'll be taking the rest of December off to plan and get things ready for season four, which is kind of going to be like soft rebootish kind of thing we're still going to do the 40 on fridays podcast still going to be talking about you know anime manga games cartoons you know movie nerd shit and the nerd community in general but there's going to be a few changes probably stuff to make it more structural some other surprises that i have in store and of course uh i we will be starting a bi-weekly schedule rather than a weekly schedule we'll see how that goes for a few episodes and if i feel like it's better to change it back we'll just go back to weekly but we will be starting bi-weekly uh, at the start of Season 4. And the first episode will be January 1st. I believe that's when it comes out. I believe I checked my calendar. I was like, oh, cool. It'll start January 1st. Let me double check so I'm not a liar. <laughs> Happy December, by the way, guys. We're in, like, the last month of 2020. Shit. Yeah, the first episode, if all things go without a hitch, uh, will come out. January 1st, 2021, the first episode of Season 4, Episode 71. But we are here on Episode 69, and what are we going to talk about? Another one of these chill episodes. Probably shouldn't be more longer than an hour. I feel like it's been fun doing this, just talking about a single subject, kind of discussing for like an hour. Me nerd ranting, you know how it goes. Uh, this week we're talking about fan service, because why not? It's Episode 69. I feel like it's a good thing to talk about. This is more so going to be like my subjective thoughts and opinions on fan servers what i observe from other people who talk about fan servers shit like that do i really think it's a problem and the answer is i think it depends and i feel like that's a general statement thinking it depends but we'll talk about that a little more um so yeah let's get into it like i said just more opinion based this week shooting the shit again but you know with this topic and perfect topic for episode 69 in my personal opinion so, uh, what is fan service? Fan service appears in other forms of media. I feel besides anime or anime-related stuff. Of course, it appeared. It can appear in TV shows, and movies, and games, and a lot of different things. But uh, I'll mainly be talking about it in the uh, referencing anime because that's the group of that's the community I'm most into. Like, it, I'd probably say like anime then games than uh, manga, than movies. Anime slash manga, than games, than movies and stuff like that. But um, that's where it's most prevalent too, like where the discussion comes up the most, is when it comes to an anime slash manga, uh, the idea of fan service. So if people don't know what fan service is, I'd say the best way to describe it would be when the writer or writers, depending on whatever sort of series and how it's written, add in essentially fan service so like uh 
sex a lot of uh, scenes with a lot of like sexual suggestive themes like oh look they're going to the beach oh her bikini top slid off oh look at the girls all scandally clad stuff like that that would be like the main number one thing people are talking about when they talk about fan service but it could also be you know other things that aren't sexual like let's say a character shows up that necessarily shouldn't be there or something like that but they do something really cool and it's exciting you're like oh fucking you're super hyped uh that would also i would say form uh bleh, bleh, bleh. that would also be a form of fan service you know stuff like that things to entice the fans to keep them interested uh and things that are not necessarily necessary for the plot or the characters or the world it's just like ooh, that caught my attention you know so it's mainly uh talked about with sex appeal and sexy things in anime just because that's the number one thing that's going to catch people's attention so um what's a good example of that in a show that does a lot of fan service uh i'd say a good example is fairy tale and <laughs> people people have mixed opinions about fairy tale they do they definitely do i do too like i said i think i've talked about it before when i said fairy tale is like really really good junk food even though you know it's like bad for you, you keep eating it. That's how I feel about fairy tale. I don't think fairy tale is like as a series, like from a narrative standpoint. I don't think it's that good. It's just I don't know. It's feel good because like they win every battle with the power of friendship, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I need some positive bullshit to keep me going through the day. So if they're gonna whip with the power of their homies, shit like that, cool. Let them. I don't give a fuck. At least. I know at least fairy tale is consistent <laughs> in that regard. So, and uh, Thousand Year Quest is done, is doing pretty well so far. Uh, I talked about that like a few months back. How I was like, wow, this is actual plot progression. Wow, characters are winning fights, and it actually makes sense why they're winning fights. Wow, <laughs> like no one, they're not winning through the power of friendship. They're actually, oh, oh, okay, oh, this is nice. Urza didn't win because she's Urza. In fact, Urza technically lost this fight. Like, oh, this is good. I like this. I was, I was thoroughly enjoy. I thoroughly enjoy Thousand Year Quest. I need to catch up. I'm probably, well, it comes out what like bi-weekly or monthly or something like that. So I, I'm not that far behind, but still, I need to catch up with it again. Um, but yeah, Fairy Tale itself, like the original Fairy Tale, got killed in Thousand Year Quest. Hella fan servicey. Um, one thing. Almost every woman in that show got some big ass titties. Just and anime titties <laughs> are not something like new. It's not something exclusive to fairy tale. But man, does fairy tale have a lot of anime titties, and they have a lot of situations where these anime titties are almost entirely exposed. <laughs> not quite though. Not quite. They can't. They can't do it all the way. But trust me. There's a lot of times where it's just like, I feel like this battle damage is entirely fucking unnecessary. How did everything get damaged except for the two strips of fabric on her nipples? I don't, I shit you not, shit like that. <laughs> and other shows do this too, but I feel like putting Fairy Tale at the front as a prime example of a show that does this is effective because Fairy Tale does it every fucking arc. There's a lot of just. I think Fairy Tale at the end of the day is like fan service the series because there's a lot of fan service moments where it's just like whoa okay titties there goes some titty oh damn those some big ass titties and two of the f like five main cast members 
are just busty big titty women which you, you have lucy and you have urza the best my waifu for laifu <laughs> and you know most people in the guild that are women have big boobies except for like wendy who's a child <laughs> i think wendy at this point actually is like what like 14 i don't know but um she like wants to grow up <laughs> to have a bigger chest which i think is funny because i feel like uh I know my girlfriend would tell me stories like when she was younger like how she wished she did have a bigger chest and then like you know when everyone hits their puberty and like what like well girls hit it all or hit can hit it a lot earlier than boys but you know a lot of girls started in like middle school and then they got bustier and that's what happened to my girlfriend and she was like well fuck now I just have these niggas is bothering me and I have back issues so I'm just like wow that's a bummer. The only thing that happens to us is like what our voices get a little deeper we get hairy sorry about that <laughs> truck coming by but that's besides the point that's a little side tangent but yeah i feel fairy tale is like fan service the series just because of that also a lot of the fight scenes like i said they win with the power of friendship which they totally fucking do majority of the time there are a few fights where you're like okay that actually makes sense or there's a few fights where it's just like there's not like a clearly distinctive person who has the advantage so you if i had to break it down 80 percent or 75 i'll say 75 75 percent of the fights in fairy tale are power of friendship that's how that's how somebody wins power of friendship and then that other 25 percent is comprised of someone actually winning in a very technical way where it's just like okay that makes sense they took advantage of that someone winning because they're just overwhelmingly stronger so it was a, it was fucking stomp that happened a lot in early fairy tale where it was just a stomp uh a good note of that too would also be during the grand wizard games where loxus fought his dad's little evil guild what was it called ravenclaw or something like that not ravenclaw they were not called ravenclaw that's a harry potter house <laughs> But it was something along that the lines of that, their, their guild name. I don't remember. Because they got fucking fodderized by Loxus. It was actually hilarious. He fucking bodied like all five of them by himself. Not because it was an asshole or anything. Loxus has always been depicted as a drastically powerful wizard. And unlike with Urza, where Urza is a main character. So the more you saw Urza just winning in arcs because she's Urza. Not for like technical reasons or... She just took advantage of a situation in a fight. She was just winning because she was Urza. Loxus didn't have that issue because Loxus wasn't like a main main character. So we didn't see Loxus as much. Also, Loxus took L's. Like, it was a struggle to fight him in the arc where he tried to take over Fairy Tail, but with the help of Gajil, Natsu managed to beat him. He didn't claim the main victory during the uh the little wizard promotion arc where they were on the island before the time skip. Uh, he helped Natsu get a power-up, but he showed up, he helped, but he wasn't strong enough in his own to succeed. So Loxus feels like a character that's, like, a really powerful fucking force and presence in the world of fairy tale, but he's not this invincible thing for the sake of being an invincible thing. So I feel like uh, Loxus as a character is handled really well because he doesn't always win, but when he needs to make an impact, he'll make an impact. Like with uh, the Tartarus arc. How that's how that went down. How he just fucking bodied that dude, and then all the shit went down. And he got poisoned. Da 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 da. But point being is, 
I don't see those as moments of fan service, like when Loxus bodied his dad's guild by himself. Like, that shit was awesome. That's just because Loxus was so much more powerful than them. And it made sense through the telling of the narrative, because that's just who Loxus is. And it fit Loxus as a character to be like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck you up, especially since Loxus was redeeming himself still for the shit that was going that happened in the fairy tale takeover argument. Now, you want to talk about fan service fights. Uh, there's two characters that are the fan service fight characters of Fairy Tale. And that would be the main character, Natsu Dragno. <laughs> and of course, the lovely S rank wizard, the most powerful female wizard in Fairy Tale, uh, Urza Scarlet. Uh, Urza is my favorite character. I like Urza, I think she's really cool. I have a thing for like very forceful I don't want to say aggressive women because I feel like that sounds insulting but I guess you can say aggressive aggressive because I wouldn't take that as an insult like confident has a good strong air about themselves I like women like that my girlfriend's like that she's very uh, assertive that would be the better word like it's it's not insulting she's a strong confident powerful assertive woman but she still has a sense of femininity about her and that's how I feel about Urza's character, and I thought Urza, was, and Urza in general is just really cool. She she would forcefully stop Natsu and Gray from fighting. She got a really good relationship with uh, Lucy early on. She I like her backstory. It was like it really uh, helped uh, provide more backing on why she how she is how she is now due to the stuff that happened to her in her past, like being a slave and all that good shit. And then. Um, even through all the bullshit through the other arcs, like winning because she was urgent, she still had moments where it was just like, okay, I can accept that. Okay, that makes sense. Da 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 da. I wanted some better stuff, like especially during um, the final arc. Uh, I I even argue with her fight in Tartarus that it wasn't like heavy fan service, where uh, all her senses were cut off, and they're like, how is she still fighting? And I would say like, she took the disadvantage of her senses being cut off and used it as an advantage and just kind of focused on like put her all in sensing out where her enemy was to succeed so she kind of took that weakness and made it a strength the series doesn't really describe it that way they literally use the argument because she's urza they literally say the because she's urza argument but in defense of that fight i'd say that's how it was it was kind of like through all the torture and stuff she had this overwhelming level or sense of like i have to beat this bitch so she inherently kind of used like a sort of sixth sense i don't want to make it sound like bullshit but you you get what i mean like when one sense is cut off other senses might be more powerful or sharpened i feel like that's what happened with in her situation all her senses were cut off so she kind of had to focus you know use her head like her mind literally to hone in on the enemy and that's how she took the win and i feel like that would have been a better way to explain what happened like she took that weakness and made it an advantage and barely scrapes the win like after she does that she's like completely worn out because it took her all just to do that i feel like that would have been more acceptable than just saying she's urza uh i cannot defend what happened in the last arc that was some old bullshit where every bone in her fucking body was broken and she still jumped up to do a final attack. I was like, this is some bullshit. This should not be a thing. <laughs> like, what would have been better is if various members from the guild 
uh, helped propel her up for the final attack or something like that. Like, you've always been there for us, so let us be there for you kind of thing. Where she secures the finishing blow, but she doesn't do it alone. And it would be a payoff for her character always kind of being like that symbol of like hope for fairy tales. Just like, damn, Urza's doing it. Like, let's help her. Like, that's getting into writing things. But Urza, like I said, has some very fan servicey fights because she's Urza. That's the whole argument. And it didn't really start becoming that bad. I want to say until when they were doing the arc where the uh, Natsu and them were, had the chance to be promoted to S-Class Wizards. Uh, and they were on the, the the original, like, the founding island for Fairy Tale. That arc where uh, Grimoire Heart showed up, I feel like that was, like, the major start for when Urza was winning fights because she was Urza. Because what was before that? Edelis? And who'd she fight in Edelis? Herself? <laughs> Her Edelis version? So, like, I really wouldn't use the because she's Urza argument in that situation because it's like, well, she was fighting Urza. What else are you going to fucking say? <laughs> but before that, we had, uh, what? The Arashan Sesark? Okay. The enemy took advantage of her once and she kind of came back and won. So I wouldn't use that because she's Urza argument. I feel like that fight was more of like anyone could won situation. Urza just kind of got caught off guard at, at first. And then before that, we had, I believe, uh, the Tower of Heaven arc, Urza's arc, where, um, we learned about her backstory and that was character development for her so when she did the former she was like armorless and had the two swords she was like i'm going all out this and that that was beautiful but then they kind of she kind of kept spamming that form but it didn't have the same feeling as that point in the arc so it was just like that's when it was just like because oh, she's fucking hers of course yeah like stuff like that so if you go f to the older arcs it wasn't always like that in the old arcs, it was either Urza was just that much more powerful than the opponent, or it was because Urza used the correct arbor to take advantage of the situation. So she seemed more of an overwhelming force in the earlier arcs, but as the enemies got stronger, of course there were going to be bigger threats that could actually challenge a person of Urza's level. So then it starts kind of devolving into, uh, what's it called? A more fan servicey thing where it's just like, yeah, she won the fight in the end because she did this Urza thing and slashed him and that's how Urza won the fight. And I do agree with that and I kind of, I not even kind of, I really dislike that shit. Which is why, like, even though it broke my heart to see Urza get tortured throughout Tartarus, I really like how the Tartarus arc of Fairy Tale is handled. That is the second to last arc of Fairy Tale. I still, to this day, stand as that being the best arc in the entire series. Tartarus is a good arc. It did everything people wanted Fairy Tale to have done. It was killing niggas. Like, maybe not main main characters are dying, but niggas was dying. It wasn't just like, oh no, nobody died. Like, the populace was threatened. Like, when Loxus had his fight, for example, and that dude pretty much turned himself into a giant toxic bomb and Loxus tried to stop the explosion as much as he could and he was like bedridden until like near the end of the arc uh they didn't tell him that a lot of fucking people died because they didn't want to like you know kind of break his heart because he felt bad he feels bad for what he did back in the fairy tale takeover arc so he he wants to help people he wants to be a good guy 
But a lot of people died from that bomb. The old wizard council got fucking almost entirely assassinated. Like, a lot of shit was going down. Like, the whole continent was at threat of, like, at risk of losing all magical energy in the world. Or in the continent. Which would have then made them defenseless to stop the demons of Tartarus. Because Tartarus didn't use magic. They used something called curses. <laughs> so, like... They could have all been slaughtered. It was really close and it came down to the wire. We learned about the origins of the dragons. People were winning fights because they were actually winning fights. You know what I mean? It was uh, the Grey Inatsu versus fucking Mod Gear. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry about that. that uh, there's an Amber Alert. There's a missing person out here. Shit was loud, caught me off guard, completely scared me. <laughs> Sorry that went on. Uh, I was gonna edit it out, but I was like, ah, I'll just leave it in because it was only a few seconds. I'll just, I, I stopped it. But, um, yeah, the Grey and uh, Natsu versus Mod Gear fight at the end was, I thought was great. It was fantastic because they actually had to team up and together fight, and they both had strong motivations for why they were fighting due to their, due to their fathers. Like with Gray's dad, and then he learned, you know, the Ice Devil Slayer magic because they find out Enza Fire Demon, but they didn't know it was Natsu yet, but they find out Enza Fire Demon, so. And then Natsu with the motivation of his father, uh, Igneal. And so they team up and fight against Mod Gear, and that fucking tag team move at the end where, like, Mod Gear uses Memento Mori to, like, try to eradicate them entirely, and Gray fucking eats the attack, and it looks like he's passed out. Natsu goes into, you know, his little Dragon Force rage mode, spears Homeboy into the air, shatters all the fucking debris in the air. That shit was dope. And then he fucking just grabs Natsu and is about to finish him. And then he's like, yo, Grey! And then Grey at the bottom with the Demon Slayer bow pierces. The, I, I was like, that shit was fire. I know I know, Fairy Tail gets a bad rap, but Tartarus was a good arc. Tartarus was a good arc. And one thing I liked about it was... The OP characters didn't play too heavily of a role to a degree. Because like I said, Urza was getting tortured. Loxus got taken out of the equation very early from an earlier fight. So it had to focus on people. Lucy had her moment of saving everyone when she summoned the Celestial Spirit King. And she had to give up Aquarius's key. Then she got her little star dress stuff. That shit was fire. You can't tell me that wasn't fire. That was like the one arc where I'm just like, Mashima, please keep doing this. And then he didn't fucking keep doing it. <laughs> because the fucking Spriggan 12 arc, that last arc of Fairy Tale, could have been so much more. It was hyped up to be so much more. It was essentially a big final war. And it just. Besides, like, maybe like a handful of fights, it, it was whatever. It could have been so much better. It was, it was very lackluster and a lot of opportunities. But, um, yeah, like like I was saying, like while there are moments where there aren't fan service -y things in Fairy Tale, it's like heavily fan service. And as I was saying before, you have those fights where it's just like, that was a fan service fight. Like Natsu winning because of the power of friendship and doing a new hidden Lotus Flame Dragon technique that we've never heard of before or never saw him train for is bullshit. Now, people can criticize other series for doing the same thing. I know, like, there's been moments in One Piece where it's just like, oh, he suddenly learned this move. 
But I would argue that One Piece's characterization and, like, the way the plot moves uh, only aids to the fact that they do new stuff because you can assume they are, like, training up to do these new moves and then they do them in their major fights when the fights happen. In fucking Fairy Tale, it's just like, damn, why'd you wait so long to do this hidden Crimson Lotus bullshit? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so I'd argue against that, and this is not me being like, oh, he's a fucking fairy or One Piece elitist. Because, you know, I have my criticisms against uh, One Piece, but I still really like One Piece. And that's something I will say in One Piece's defense. It's just like, it, it feels more realistic when characters in One Piece bust out new techniques than when characters in Fairy Tale bust out new techniques. I feel like we should learn more about how the, their magic works in certain aspects, but, you know, that's just me being nitpicky. We don't need to, but at the same time, had the characterization and the plot been better, then that wouldn't have even been an issue, you know what I mean? Like, no one would have even worried about it. And so, not Nazis, almost every one of Nazis fights is fan service There's, like, barely any times where Natsu wins because it just makes sense for the story for Natsu to win. A lot of early fairy tale it does, like I would say. Like with um, Galula Island, a lot of that stuff did indeed make sense and it was more so the fact that like, oh, taking advantage of an opponent's weakness or figuring it out and waiting for the right moment or it could go either way. There's a lot of those moments. Uh, Tower of Heaven, um, Natsu got heavily flexed on <laughs> until like the final fight and then he ate the uh what is it the Ethereum the Ethernano and people were like oh that was kind of an ass pull I'm like well they said he could get sick and die so I kind of give that the benefit of the doubt because he did get sick and he threw up and there were repercussions afterwards he still get nauseous a little while after that point and he got the big old power boost and got the Dragon Force for it, though. But he did suffer some of a repercussion. I do agree the repercussions could have been better. Uh, then Arashan says with the Flame of Rebuke, there was no fucking repercussion for that. <laughs> it just devolved into just like, Natsu's gonna do a new Hidden Flame Dragon Slayer move and win. Like, Tartarus is different because so much was happening in Tartarus. And they were all so much more powerful at that point in the series. So Natsu's first fight with the dude that could make explosions, what was his name, Jackal, I believe. It made more sense because it wasn't a fight where it's just like, damn, Natsu's gonna have to pull something out of his ass to win. It was a fight where Natsu and Jackal were actually just fighting and then Natsu ended up winning in the end. So that was, that was cool. And Natsu didn't really have any other major fights in Tartarus besides that, just because so many people actually fought in Tartarus, which is another thing I, I appreciate. A lot of characters got shine, a lot of characters got their own battles. And then, um, what happened? Uh, and then the other, the only other, like, major, major fight I can really think of that happened in Tartarus was Natsu and Grey versus Mod Gear, which was a tag team fight, which was a dual effort. And it made sense for Natsu to get that huge burst of energy near the end where he did his fucking little hidden Crimson Lotus stuff, like the Dragon Sword Horn, because he got an emotional rage boost from Grey almost, you know, dying pretty much, taking Memento Mori. So it made sense from an emotional standpoint, and then he wasn't the, even the one that landed the finishing blow. 
he set up the finishing blow, and then Gray killed him. It was a group effort. Gray wouldn't have been able to do that without Natsu's help, and they were doing their tag team fire and ice techniques. So that made sense. And then it was like, what, a year time skip after that before we get to the last arc, and Natsu is drastically more powerful. Like, he walked into the wizard game arena and was melting it just by walking in. And I was hyped because I, I was like, I was feeling good after what happened with Tartarus. I was like, oh, this, I, this arc's about to be so good. It was getting built up to be that way. And then you had, you know, the Dragon King's Demolition Fist, which made sense. It was a new move that made sense because we know there was a year of training. We know these people were like doing different things to brush up on their skills after the guild separated. So it's like... It makes sense for Natsu to come out, be drastically more powerful, have new techniques. And the problem with that was we got more of these like fancy sorry for the police siren. Uh, we got more of these fan servicey ass pull fights. And then Natsu's whole point of like the Dragon King like demolition fist stuff, it kinda got tossed aside very early in. We saw it during the Avatar arc where he fucking first flexed it and destroyed that giant demon. And then um he had he was fighting he ran into um Zareph and he was using that stuff on Zareph. And Zareph was like, Oh fuck, he might be able to kill me. But Happy got worried that if Zareph died, Natsu would die too, and he was scared for him. So that was good characterization too, because Natsu and Happy have always been close. And then after that, once we get into, like, the final stage of that, that arc, where the Spurgeon 12 pull up to uh, attack and take Fairy Heart, there was, like, no characterization from that point forward. There are just fights. And that couldn't, and that's not necessarily a bad thing once you get to, like, that peak in, the, in like, a war. Like, okay, it's the end, so let's just focus on the battles. The problem was, these character arcs had not been concluded yet by the time we got to that war. So you would have to conclude these character arcs during the war, and nobody really did get, like, a strong conclusion. I say the best, like, characterizations during this arc would be Gajil, and then they pussied out and didn't kill Gajil, they fanserviced him back in, like, two chapters later, uh, Gray and Juvia's relationship, and then they fan her back in, like, a chapter fucking later. Uh, End was thrown out the window when Natsu activated his END powers, and then he had to choose between, like, you know, the, the, the heart of the dragon and the heart of the demon. He's like, I'll choose the side that makes me human. I don't have a problem with that being the conclusion to that, but it was, like, a fucking chapter. <laughs> so... So that was what bothered me the most. It was just like, we finally get to this point and then we just throw it away, like, immediately after. Had that been, like, its own situation for, like, a good few chapters, like, let's say it was, like, a five-chapter portion of the war not to, like, struggling between, like, turning into, like, this fucking dragon monster or becoming the demon, the final demon of the Book of Zareph, E.N.D. And in the end, his human self, the self that he lived as during all his adventures with the guild and with his friends and how everything has come up to that point and that's the path he chooses to walk and he overcomes that demon half of him and overcomes that dragon half and has maybe like full control of like the dragon force and the the flames of END like that would be more of a characterization for him also Natsu 
has like character development, but it's barely any because they don't focus heavily enough on the idea of what's the inner struggle going on with Natsu. I feel like we should have more so addressed the ideas of the Dragon Force. They should have more so hinted at his demon origins. And that just, those are more so issues of Mashima writing this as a discovery writer, which means he originally planned, planned to end Fairy Tale around the Phantom Lord arc. It wasn't supposed to be that long, but due to fan popularity, he kept it going. But he didn't really plan out arcs, he just kind of wrote as he went along. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, because it's fun to be like, oh, I don't know, even I don't know what to expect. I just keep, you know, writing. And he could come up to some good ideas, like Toriyama was a discovery writer. And though Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z have its issues, it has some of its best moments because Toriyama was a discovery writer and he didn't write too, too far ahead. He had some basic plans. But I feel like it hurt Mashima in the long run because Mashima is a good writer when it comes to like setting up these really great story points and these great characterization points and then kind of tossing them aside when he gets to that point. And he tosses them aside with this idea of like fan service. So like, oh, this character's supposed to die, but he doesn't want them to die. So the next chapter, they come back. It's like cool because I love Gajil and I love his redemption and everything that happened with him. But what the fuck? You should have just let Gajil die. That had impact. Same thing with Juvia. Like, that was beautiful. That beautiful moment where Juvia gave her life to save Grey. And Grey, like, fucking raged out into his full, like, Ice Demon Slayer mode. That shit was beautiful. And then it meant nothing because Juvia lived. And I feel like that would have been such a... It would have been a bittersweet way to end the character arc of a relationship. But it was so well written to that point and to that setup... It just was ruined when she lived. And don't get me wrong, you don't have to kill off characters to make a good storyline. But Mashima's problem is he fucking sets up a character to make it look like they are going to die or they died. And then not too long after that, we find out they're fucking alive. Like with, um, what's his name? With, uh, Jalal. Oh, sorry, I didn't know the sound of my phone was on. Like with Jalal, um, I didn't have a problem with finding out later, oh, Jalal survived the Tower of Heaven incident because it was way later. It was like deeper into a Rayshon Sace and he lost his memory and a lot of other setup happens and it starts Jalal's kind of sort of redemption arc in a way. So that worked for his character, but you can't do that for every person. You can't, especially when they, like, we find out they're immediately, like, alive two chapters later. Like, ugh. It's nice to know that these characters we love are alive. But at the same time, if you're getting to that final arc, that peak, and you're going to kill off a character and make it look like they got killed off, just kill them off. Just kill them off. Or don't do it at all. You didn't have to set up that situation where Gajil almost died. You could have set it up where he, like, barely makes it out. Oh, he's okay. Or Juvia, like, almost die saving Grey, and Grey could still rage up, but Juvia would be okay. You could do that. You don't have to make it seem like they died, and it's like, oh, they got saved. Especially with Makara during the final arc, where he did the fairy law thing. And he turned to, like, stone, and everyone was sad. You should have killed Makara off at that point in the series. It was the final arc. He was old. He had always been there for, him, for them. That could have been the ending stage for for his legacy. After the war, they could have made this beautiful little monument for him. Makarov is a good character. 
And I feel like they lessened that blow by having him live. It was just like, golly, can you kill niggas? <laughs> like, if you're gonna kill them, kill them. <laughs> like, shit like that. And and I say all of that because fairy tale. I'm. I, I guess this podcast will just be about mainly fairy tale fan service, because I feel like it's just like the peak of fan service. You have like these. Not only do you have all these oversexualized moments that are completely unnecessary for the series. Like, I understand that's just the brand of humor in fairy tale, and every now and then those jokes can actually come out really funny, but when they're constantly brought up, it gets really dull really fast. So not only do you have that, you have these characters that win fights just because, you know, the power of friendship or some ass pull shit happens in the series, and just like, oh wow, that, and it looks really cool. You know, every time a Natsu finishes off a fight and does like a cool move at the end, it looks really cool. But it doesn't make sense, and it's not fulfilling in the grand scheme of things. It's just there to look cool. It's just there because Natsu is the hero, because Natsu is the main character. It's not because Natsu figured out a way to win. It's not because Natsu took advantage of a situation and did win. And again, you don't even have to make a fight like be won by a technical thing. It can have an emotional drive to it where the character just finds that push in the end, but Natsu's character development isn't detailed enough for me, for readers and viewers of the show to have an emotional attachment that deep for him to just be like, I'm gonna pull this win because of my friends. And even winning because of friends isn't a bad thing, as long as it's not overused. The problem with Fairy Tale is it's all about friendship, so most of the time they are winning because of the power of friendship. And that shit becomes dull really fast because it's just like, oh my god, as long as they have their friends, they will always win. Like, like, sour that moment sometimes. Have it, like, even if they do believe in their friends, they're not always necessarily going to win, you know? Don't make it, like, this perfect thing. Like, Urza always finds the will to win in the end, not only because she's Urza, because she has to protect the guild. Natsu's going to win because he believes in his friends. You know, shit like that. We have other characters in the series who do win for other reasons or for other emotional investments, but they're side characters. Like I said, Loxus is a good character. The way they made, built him up to be like this more OP character within Fairy Tale, but him winning fights through sheer, sheerly overpowering his opponent makes sense because that's just always who he's been. And there's never been like really Ash Pullis victories for Loxus. It's always felt like, okay, yeah, Loxus won that fight. Then you have characters like Juvia, who won some fights through emotional appeal. Case in point, Tartarus. That shit was beautiful. I, I How she was crying as she had to kill that fucking necromancer dude in Tartarus. Because she knew that would mean Grey's dad passed on too. And she didn't want to hurt Grey. Like, that was a beautiful emotional investment. How she was going to give her life for Grey because she really loved him. And at that point where Grey, like, saw her, like die in Zorms, essentially. That shit was beautiful, but then she didn't fucking die. And is a side character. Gajil, I would argue, is still more of a... Like, they're like the B-team for Fairy Tale, Literally. Like, Loxus, Juvia, uh, Gajil. I put Kana in that for the later stuff, like when she got uh, Fairy Glitter and stuff. They're more of like Mary Jane, yeah, uh, Elfman. Those characters are powerful, and they've won fights because it makes sense for them to win fights. But it doesn't have much of an, m much impact 
are as much impact as the main characters on the story because they're not the main characters of the story. And it just sucks because I know Mashima has the potential to do that. We know that because of his series Rave Master that came out before that. Rave Master was a beautifully written series. Um, and then you had Fairy Tale, which had all of that. I heard Eden Zero is doing really well. I want to read Eden Zero. I uh, just haven't gotten the chance to yet. It's getting an anime adaption soon, I think, in like 2021, so maybe I'll start watching it and go from there and then start reading, but we'll see what happens. And then, like I said, Fairy Tale 100 Year Quest, the Fairy Tale sequel. I might have called it Fairy Tale Zero earlier. That's not what I was talking about. That's the prequel. Fairy Tale Zero is pretty good, too. It's very short. Um, but Fairy Tale 100 Year Quest is doing pretty solid as far as I had last read. So maybe, maybe it's different, but the bulk in the main portion of the fairy tale world is just the regular fairy tale manga and the sad part is it just is weighed down so heavily by fan service and with the fake character deaths that is a sense of fan service because you're giving this sense of like oh this person's gonna die and then they fucking immediately come back and now i know some people would argue that well no nah, because it's not fan service if the fans don't like it that's not true at all, because there's a lot of people who don't fucking like fan service in their anime. Yet fan service still exists. It's meant to service the fans. There is a portion of people that enjoy that stuff or don't care about it. So, of course they're going to do it because people don't care. But there is a vocal portion of the community that fucking hates fan service. And, like I said, I think it's very situational, and the reason why I'm using Fairy Tale as such a heavy example of it is because, in the case of Fairy Tale, it's being used too fucking much. It's, it's being used as a plot point. Fan service is what moves the plot along in Fairy Tale. And that's Fairy Tale's key issue. And I think a lot of people hate it so much because they don't like fan service so when they see it happen so much in the series they're just like this is trash i don't think fairy tale is inherently bad but harry fairy tale harry tale <laughs> fairy tale is so inherently weighed down by its fan service that it hurts the series in terms of plot development in terms of character growth in terms of fight scenes and just overall appeal I think fairy tale is a it's a wonderful concept, especially when you're using a concept of like a magical world, which has been used so many times. I think fairy tales kind of stands out in its own light as being very unique with that nice little concepts, uh, the guilds and the dark guilds, uh, the demons of Tartaros were a really unique introduction to that. Like I said, there's so many things about Tartar the Tartarus arc that were great. Um, the fact that there's other continents like they live in the kingdom of fiori and i think their continent's called like ishgar or something like that but there is like the kingdom of alvarez which was on a, a or i think that's what it was called which was a different continent where xerif ruled as a king and built up his own army in the spriggan 12 and then there's a third continent where a bunch of other shit is going down which is what's uh happening in the hundred year quest where we find these other dragons and all this other it's interesting like it has it has the potential to have better world building it has these cool little magical concepts and the think the reason why i'm so heavily attached to fairy tales because early fairy tales set it up really well there's a lot of locations and places in the world of fairy tale that are very unique 
that are very different, that are very cool looking to explore and travel and adventure to. And when they got to those major arcs, the problem wasn't that, oh, it's not like how it was with the adventuring before. The problem is because it's not as good, you long for that again because those were the moments that were good, which is another reason why I like 100 Year Quest because they're adventuring. So it feels nice. It's like, oh yeah, this is cool. I like this. And the plot's really nice and there's characters actually have motivations. Natsu actually has more of a motivation, I would say now, be as far as I've read, because he's learning more about his dad and some other aspects that he didn't know about the world of dragons and other, thing and other realms of power he could reach. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's it's like okay, you're getting me invested again. You're giving me more lore that flushes out the characters in the world they live in. So now there's more of a drive for the characters. So when they get into fights and they're in the middle of a struggle and they succeed, it's more satisfying to see them succeed because they're one step closer to actual tangible goals rather than. Oh, they had a tragic backstory, but they don't really have goals. Like, Natsu is, like, the only one with, like, a major, major goal, I'd say, as Fairy Tale kept going. But he didn't really have motivation or character development. He just had this goal of finding out what happened to Igneal. And then we find out what happens in Tartarus. So then when we get to the last arc, it's just like, well, he has to beat Zareph because he's tied to that backstory with Zareph. So that, I thought that was good writing, but it's just like, it feels really muddled because Natsu really didn't have a lot of development as a character by the time we get to that point. Had he actually gone through those internal struggles of being part, you know, dragon, because he's a dragon slayer, and having that demon seed in him because he is essentially E&D, he's a demon clone of Zareth's brother. He's the final demon in the book of Zareth. And... We don't really get a lot of that impact. It's a cool reveal to have as the Tartarus arc ends and we find out, oh fuck, Natsu is END. Natsu is END. And we learn more about the backstory of Zareph. So it's hard to argue to say like I wish to wish we knew more about Natsu's demon roots earlier in the series because I that would hurt the reveal. But there were ways they could have like done that without revealing that Natsu was a demon because we didn't know much about the book of Zareph because we didn't know much about Zareph. Zareph was seen as more of like this myth, well not a myth, but like this old wizard that had already died and then we find out he's alive and all this shit. No, like he was a... Bleh. Zareph was a very well built up villain because he didn't seem like he was going to be the last villain or a major villain in the series. Until you're just like, oh, fuck, that's Zareph. Zareph's just here. Zareph is alive. What the fuck has happened? But we already knew about who Zareph was through events that happened in the series. Like with Lullaby, it was a creation of Zareph. And then uh, Delior, which was a demon created by Zareph. Like this dark wizard who created all these weird demons and demonic tools and dark magic da 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 we knew Zareph was this dark wizard so I guess throughout you you expected to see references to Zareph or people using items or demons he created for their own twisted goals but you weren't expecting to see, to see Zareph just be alive <laughs> like oh fuck and that leads to the mystery of like why is Zareph alive why is Zareph no Natsu why is he so emotionally attached to this character Natsu like, what's going on here? And then 
you find that plot unfold. So you could have had that... You already had Zerif laid out as a plot point. You could have had... Uh, and it might have been confusing to have Natsu have to deal with the Dragon Force and E&D, but, but Natsu's already E&D, so let's say, for example, Natsu is learning to control the Dragon Force. We don't know about the origins of the dragons yet, or what happened to the dragons for the Dragon Slayers yet. But Natsu could always already also be struggling with something else. Let's say, like, there's certain character qualities of Natsu or a different kind of flame that Natsu accesses when his demon side comes out more. So they're like, these aren't like, you know, the Dragon Slayer flames he normally has. They could have been seen as like a different color, different intensity, something, you know, to differentiate them. And then Natsu could have been going through the struggles of having to find out and the origins about these two powers and balancing them out so when he gets to the point where igniel's like you're gonna have to choose it's more so built up that he's going to have to choose and then they could have made that a bigger issue when it happened so when he in the end where he picks the human path it makes more sense for his character because he remembers all those moments where you know he was just this dude traveling with his homies and then he gains control of both those sides and becomes an overall more devastatingly power, powerful character because of his unique origins. Then you can have an excuse of why Natsu so OP that makes sense for the series and makes sense narratively for him as a character rather than him just being fucking Natsu. So he's going to win, you know? And those are the major shortcomings of Fairy Tale because it relies so heavily on uh, fan service that you don't get those developments. And like I said, in, in Mashima's defense, you know, he was doing discovery writing. He wasn't expecting to write as long. And it makes more sense when you think about it why Fairy Tale ended up the way it ended up. But at the same time, I can't give him the complete benefit of the doubt because it's just like, that's not an excuse for having bad writing moments because there are plenty of discovery writers that have better developments for characters and plot even though they were writing chapter by chapter. Toriyama is an example. You can talk shit about Dragon Ball Z all you want. I don't care. You have the right to your opinion. Dragon Ball Z had some great fucking plot points. Some great moments of development and growth for characters and events. And that's and Toriyama wrote that. And Toriyama was a discovery writer. So, and I feel like Toriyama was writing his story better than how Mashimo was writing Fairy Tales. So, Take that for how you will, how you want to, blah, 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 But, um, and what was I thought? There was one point I wanted to bring up with Dragon Ball Super with the idea of just, like, building up these moments only to have them muddled out by kind of, like, fan surface plot. It reminded me of Dragon Ball Super for the Trunks arc because I feel like, for the, or the Goku Black arc, whichever you want to call it, uh, I feel like a lot of the time fan service can be used in an effective way. Or not effective, but just more in a harmless way. Where it's just like, yeah, you can have those moments where it's just like, oh, that was, you know, with sexual jokes. Because people have their own sense of humor. You can have those moments where it's just like, we thought that character died and you can bring them back later. And it's just like, okay, as long as you don't overdo that. You can be like, oh, they did die or they got brought back somehow. Some shit like that. It all depends on how you make it. You can have fights where somebody finds the will suddenly to continue and go through as long as you have an emotional backing to that a lot of the fights in bleach up until like you know 
the Arankar and Waco Mundo stuff especially, they had a lot of emotional appeal backing them up. So even though Ichigo was fairly new to Soul Reaper powers, Ichigo and the gang, like Chad or Hime too, and Uryu to an extent, um, even though they were fairly less experienced than a lot of the Soul Reaper captains, all the Soul Reaper captains and stuff, and other villains, it made more impact to have them win fights because of the emotional appeal backing what was riding on the fight. So you don't think about like, oh, wow, Ichigo only trained this. And, I mean, in hindsight, you do as when you look back on Bleach as a whole. But in the moment, like when Ichigo's fighting Byakuya, Ichigo, it feels like Ichigo earned that victory because he did train for it. So even though Byakuya has been training for centuries and Ichigo was able to quickly close that power gap, it felt earned, it felt received. Like, there you go. Because there was so much emotion backing that fight. And I feel like a lot of the time when fanservice stuff does that, they don't have a lot of emotional backing. They're doing it for the sake of making it look cool. Case in point, the Future Trunks arc. The last three episodes of the Future Trunks arc is a fanservice-y fucking mess. So, <laughs> we have Vegito appear, and then the Vegito retcon came up, which was so unnecessary because we know they could have used the dragons to wish to split them apart, because that's what Kibito Kai did to split back into Kibito in the Supreme Kai. So why did Goku and Vegeta suddenly need this time limit retcon to justify, oh, we confuse? That was dumb. And is it a retcon? Mm, I maybe, I guess. But at the because in a sense it's like they never said if there was a time limit or not, but at the same time in Dragon Ball Z Supreme Kai says the fusion is permanent. So you would think if there was a time limit for people who weren't more who weren't gods to fuse with the fusion hearings, he would have said that in Z. So Goku wouldn't have to tell somebody, oh yeah, the fusion's permanent. So it is also a retcon. <laughs> but I, I feel like the retcon would have been fine. I feel like it should have been handled better. It was going too fast, and then you have Vegito pop up, and Vegito went Super Saiyan Blue. He fights Merge, Decaying, Zamasu for like seven minutes. We get Vegito for seven minutes. Then the fusion time runs out because they were burning through too much energy because they were in Super Saiyan Blue. So it's similar to what happened to Gotenks in Dragon Ball Z where he went Super Saiyan 3 to fight Super Buu because the fusion dance lasts for 30 minutes. But it lasted less than 30 minutes because Gotenks was burning too much energy in Super Saiyan 3. The thing with that is it's kind of already set up from earlier when Goku did, went Super Saiyan 3 that that shit eats energy. So instead of eating Goku's energy since he was dead, it ate up the remainder of time he had left to stay in the living world. So we already knew that Super Saiyan 3 was very powerful, but very exhausting when it came to power. So when the fusion split and that was the reason for it, it made sense for that being explained. With the fusion earrings, it's just like, well, we were already always used to them just being a permanent thing unless you could split them apart, like with the Dragon Ball Wish. But now you add this time limit and also, oh, the time limit was less because you used up too much energy. <laughs> and it was just like, come on, bro. <laughs> come on. It, it felt weird. And then Trunks suddenly did a spirit bomb sword and cut Zamasu in half. And that's how the day was won. 
in in the moment, like seeing that happen, like Trunks having this cool ass giant energy sword made out of the key of like the remaining people on Earth and Goku and Vegeta and stuff like that, was fucking cool. Sort of hope is fucking cool. Is a cool looking move. But when you think about the implications that led up to that point, it was just like, what the fuck? That doesn't even make sense. How would Trunks know the spirit bomb? Or, like, the key concepts of the spirit bomb to do something so similar to it? Because the Sword of Hope is very similar to the idea of the spirit bomb. People giving their energy to create a powerful, condensed key attack. Except Goku takes the Genki, or the, the good energy, the healthy energy of living organisms from either all around a planet or like nearby worlds and stuff that we've seen through various variations of the spirit bomb to create this blast this giant bomb of energy the genki dama or the spirit bomb in the dub so it was a very similar concept to what was happening with trunks and the spirit sword the sword of hope it even was blue like a spirit bomb <laughs> and People can be like, okay, well, it was just blue. But you, I also argue when Trunks first pulled up with his broken sword and had key charged around it, it was yellow. It was just a regular key sword. So why did it all of a sudden it turn blue <laughs> when he was given energy? It was supposed to be like his own version of like a spirit bomb thing. That was supposed to be like his final attack given by the energy of everyone. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was cool to see. And yeah, Trunks maybe should have gotten the W in the end because it was his timeline. But it didn't make sense. And that was the problem. It was made to be all flashy. Vegito showing up and going Super Saiyan Blue and fighting Murzumasu. Fan service. Trunks doing a Spirit Bomb Sword. Fan service. Zamasu being a DSS Mach DXS Machina. Fan service. So, Dragon Ball doesn't have a lot of, like, sexual, suggestive fanservice-y things. Well, dra the original Dragon Ball does. And then, I feel like it's drastically lessened in Z and Super. It's still there, but not nearly as much as it was in Dragon Ball. And that's because Toriyama was more of a gag writer. And Dragon Ball had a lot more uh, comedy elements added into it, alongside its, like, adventure aspect, and its martial arts action aspect, and serious threats to the world. Dragon Ball, I felt like, was more properly balanced and then things started to change in z and then you can have your own issues with z but then gt and super i feel like have major issues that hurt the series but that's a different discussion but um that's just another example of like fan servers being at play and kind of like uh hurting the impact of a story all together because i feel like minus a few minor minus a few minor issues there's a few minor gripes I had with the, the Goku Black art. Just a few. Just a few. Nothing major. I don't have a problem with like the little time paradox that was happening in the Future Trunks arc. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, it would take it would kind of take a minute to explain. But pretty much the way I saw the time paradox was that Trunks fucking with time in the first place made shit like this kind of destined to happen. Like, that was it. It was just going to happen. From the moment Trunks first went back in time, back in Z, like, shit like this was going to fuck up. So it causes a time paradox, so I'm just like, well, if there's a time paradox, then it's just always going to be. This is just is what it is. Because Trunks fucked with time in the first place. Which fits the idea of, like, the gods seeing mortals using time travel as taboo. 
Which is why time travels for the gods works differently than time travel for the mortals. Because there's different aspects being worked and put at play. But that's a different discussion. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, minus, yeah, like minus a few minor, just basic things. Just basic, like, eh, that's kind of stupid. Like, eh, that was kind of stupid. You know, things like that. Are, are like how Trunks got the, the Super Saiyan Rage form, like that new form he had exclusively to him. I wish that was better explained. They didn't really explain it at all. The moment where he made the transformation and did his whole speech, I thought was really fucking cool. And he's just like, you want me to be a villain? Well, then that's what I'll... <laughs> he's like, you say my actions make me evil? Well, then that's what I'll be! And I'm talking about the dub because I think the voice actor for Trunks in the dub did a fucking phenomenal job doing that speech. Of course, the sub was pretty solid, too. More than pretty solid. It was pretty good. You know, those are the classic Dragon Ball voice actors for the most part, so... You get, you get a good performance, but it was such a good moment. I just wish the form was better explained. They didn't even have to do, like, a deep explanation. Just basically noting aspects about it and addressing that form would have helped it me be okay with it because i'm just like yeah give trunks a new form during the situation he's kind of in an intense moment but what is it <laughs> like we we never got context about what it was so kind of left it at that and then like certain things like my's like i'm gonna shoot this nigga with a bullet like what that don't my you know sit your ass down <laughs> just just shit like that and if if it was just minor gripes like that i feel like Eh, not a big deal. Every arc has issues in any series. So, Goku Black would have had a much stronger impact. But because of what happens during these last three episodes of the Goku Black arc, it hurts it so much because it's just like bullshit after bullshit after bullshit. And uh, the way I'll end this podcast out... Uh, <laughs> Is just talking about a way you could have had the fan service and still had it make sense. So we got this early uh, hint Zamasu, or uh, not Zamasu, Zeno, the Omni King, was going to be involved in this arc somehow because he got Goku got the little Omni button from Omni King so he could push it and Omni King would pop up anytime in the end. So we knew Goku was going to use that button somehow. And we were hoping, like, please don't make it a disc. <laughs> and it kind of was. Now, what should have happened, this is, this is how I would have ended the future Trunks arc. This is my opinion. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before. I might have like a really long time ago when it was more relevant. But personally for me, this is how I would have ended it, right? So we know about the button. And you kind of want Trunks to get this W. We know Goku Black is a Zamasu from another timeline in Goku's body. But we know he's not immortal. We know he can be killed because he didn't want to be immortal. He liked the, the thrill of being in a sand body, going through those experiences, and getting stronger from them like a sand does, and exploring the depths of what his power could do. The other Zamasu was immortal. He stayed in his original body, so he wasn't as powerful, nearly as powerful at all, but he was immortal. You couldn't kill him. He, he just revived from everything fatal. So, we already have good setup for what's going to happen. Uh... They went back so they could learn the evil containment wave stuff. So here's here's how I would have done it. Trunks tries to seal Zamasu. It fails because they didn't have the seal for the bottle. 
or they didn't properly put it on or something. Let's say that happens, Zamasu breaks out. Zamasu and Goku Black do their fusion with the earrings and become the merged Zamasu god form. So now they're doing that. He's getting corrupted because of the way the fusion was done, where one of their bodies was this immortal Zamasu, who was technically a god. He was a Supreme Kai in training. And then you have Goku Black, who has Zamasu's soul in a sand body, which is why they were able to do the Super Saiyan Rose kind of sand mutation, because it was like this godly presence in a sand body. But he technically isn't a god. He's not a mortal. So the fusion itself was kind of breaking down because one person was mortal and one person was immortal. So it wasn't a perfect fusion. So now we already know that's an issue. So... He breaks out, Trunks feels helpless, his sword's broken. Goku and Vegeta do the fusion. We don't let's say they let's say they do still have the time limit retcon thing. Let's say let's say that. But another point I'd like to put out that we could also do to express um, or to have a reason for the fusion to break is something that happened in the tournament of power. When Kale and Khalifa uh, fused to become Kefla or Kefla with the, the earrings, and Goku Ultra Instinct point-blank fucking kamehameha them into oblivion, <laughs> uh, the earrings broke, and it forced their fusion to split. So, they could have used that idea for Vegito during that fight, like the earrings break somehow, and it forces the fusion to split, rather than having a time limit. Because I feel like that wouldn't retcon the, the idea of a permanent fusion, if you could somehow break the earrings. But let's say the earrings are really durable, so it takes a lot to break them. Like, Goku point-blank Kamehameha-waved Kefla. So all that power, of course, shattered the earrings. So let's say you kind of have to overpower... You have to hit the character with at least a lot of power to, like, be on par with that fusion's actual power level. Something like that. So let's say Vegito... Vegito Blue and Merge Zamasu are fighting. Merge Zamasu corrupted. He's getting all deformed. Make that fight longer. Make that fight at least an episode. Maybe an episode and a half. So, we have that going on. Trunks' rage form, um, goes without saying, should already be explained. I don't know how they would explain it, I'm just saying, that's just a side note. So they're fighting, and the fusion for Murzamasu is breaking down. So, Vegito's like, oh, maybe we can force them apart because their fusion's already unstable. So as he's beaten down Zamasu and landed shots on him, the fusion's becoming more and more corrupted. So maybe Zamasu might be increasing in power because of the corruption or something like that. But the fusion's becoming more unstable, so they might be able to forcefully split them apart. Vegito gets ready in the end for, like, let's say, like his final Kamehameha. He's setting up for that move gonna use all the power he has. He did use the final Kamehameha against Zamasu in the actual Trunks arc, but that move was so, like, fucking brushed aside. Like, he did it and fired it, and Zamasu got hit by it and just popped up out of the smoke. I, it didn't have a lot of impact. It was just like, oh, okay. I wish that was more noted. It was kind of like, it was just kind of sh a shout-out to the move, because that move technically, I think, only appeared in games before that. I don't think it ever happened in the anime until that point. But, um, let's say he's getting set up to do that move, and he's like, even if I can't really kill you, 
this will it'll split you apart it'll split the fusion so let's say he does that and zamasu merge zamasu fires like his own final move and it causes like a clash and let's say this clash causes an explosion or a disruption and it knocks both of them back so now merge zamasu's fusion earrings are cracked and vegeta's vegeto blues fusion earrings are cracked so they're on the brink of breaking down vegeto goes in for a strike zamasu goes in to defend himself uh vegeto hits him hard he's gonna throw the finishing blow zamasu tries for like one of his little uh psionic blade hand cuts and misses vegeto but shatters the earring because it's brittle enough to break and it forces goku and vegeta vegeta apart so their fusion breaks before they can fully split zamasu even though Zamasu's kind of, you know, weakened, uh, Merge Zamasu's down to this kind of crippled mass, monstrous, like, weakened state, Goku and Vegeta are out of energy to fight him off. So now they're getting beat the fuck up like they were in the actual anime. And then Trunks, you know, gets up, picks up his broken sword, and he's like, I'm not done fighting yet. I gotta keep fighting. So he's like, this is my timeline, this is my planet, I have to keep it safe. I have to keep the people of this world safe for their own future. And he charges what key he has left. It kind of makes like a small energy blade around his broken sword. Then the other earthlings that are alive still give their energy to Trunks. And it forms that just regular energy sword. We're not talking about a spirit bomb sword. Maybe it can be bigger, but it doesn't have to be like that spirit bomb sword of hope kind of thing. Just like an energy blade. That's the idea. It's just like the last of his key. And he powers up into his rage form. He goes down to help Goku and Vegeta. Now, Zamasu is this crippled mess, just like worn out from his fight with Vegeta. Trunks is still tired too, but he's, you know, recovered enough energy to go into the fight. He had the energy given to him. And he's like, I have to finish this off. So Goku and Vegeta donate what little energy they can too. And Trunks goes in to finish off Zamasu. And Zamasu is confident and he's just like, dude, you're no threat to me. What are you going to do? But Zamasu notices that he's slower. He's not as strong or reactive to Trunks because he's weakened. He's delirious from his uh, corrupted fusion state. Trunks takes advantage of that and splits him in half, does his cool little Trunks speech. And when he splits Zamasu in half, let's say instead of Zamasu, you know, turning to dust and then fusing his consciousness with the universe, which was cool... But it'll avoid any problems for what I what else I have planned to finish up the arc. Let's say instead of that happening, he splits, he cuts Merge Zamasu in half. Merge Zamasu deforms back into just Zamasu, the Zamasu that's immortal because he can't die. And then they're just like, well, what happened to Goku Black? Trunks, at that point, when he split Merge Zamasu in half, let's say he kills Goku Black. Let's say Goku Black dies as a result of Trunks taking advantage of that weakened state. So Trunks can still get a W. Trunks stopped the nightmare that was Goku Black. Now there's still the problem of Zamasu. And let's say Trunks didn't do the evil containment wave and Zamasu broke out. Let's say that didn't happen yet either. So let's say they're like, Goku, quick. So Zamasu's, you know, the immortal Zamasu's like on the ground. He's weakened. He's tired. He can't really fight back against Trunks. But he's like, what are you going to do? You, you can't kill me. And Goku's like, Trunks, get out of the way. And then Goku manages to muster up the strength to do the evil containment wave, thus sealing Zamasu in the bottle and trapping him. Okay, cool. 
So now Goku Black is dead. The immortal Samasu is sealed. What do we do now? Goku then <laughs> calls the... They, he's like, look, I got a plan. Let's hop in the time machine, go back to our, our regular timeline. Trunks, you come too, I want you to see this. So he takes Trunks in mind, and they go back to the, the regular original Dragon Ball continuity timeline. The one we're currently in in Super. The reason why Omni King gave Goku that button was because Goku was like, look, when I come back, I promise I'll have a friend, you know, that'll play with you all you want without any trouble you know that's what he said he's like don't worry about it i got you and he's like okay cool so they have this immortal zamasu trapped in a bottle the zamasu from their current timeline is dead because of events that happened which caused a time paradox um they go back to the regular timeline they call uh zeno with the the little Omni button, they call up Omni King. Omni King pops up, and Goku's like, "Hey man, <laughs> I got your playmate." And they take Zamasu out of the the evil containment wave bottle, and Zamasu wants to enact revenge. But what the fuck is he gonna do against the Omni King? <laughs> the Omni King can just delete him, regardless of him being immortal or not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so. And Zeno's like, oh, fuck, that's cool. So now we lose the, the concept of having two Omni-Kings in one universe. But also, we don't really need the two Omni-Kings in one universe. It was a cool little funny gimmick thing that happened. And it was like, oh, this is the playmate I'll give Omni-King. I'll just give him another Omni-King. But I feel like it'd be a more fitting conclusion and punishment for Sumasu to kind of be in this eternal hell where he's stuck being Omni King's plaything, and there's nothing he can do because even though he's immortal, he's he's not going to be able to stop Omni King's deletion. Omni King's always heavily guarded. The Grand Priest is there. What is he going to fucking do? So he'll be stuck being this plaything for uh, Zeno for all eternity. Kind of like the idea of Frieza uh, when he was stuck in hell. When Frieza is in Hell, when we see the actual depiction of Hell and Revival of F and in the Revival of F arc in Super, everyone kind of had their own personal Hell, and Frieza's, he was hung on that cocoon, <laughs> in that cocoon, in this meadow on this tree, and all these little fairies and stuffed bears were dancing and playing music all the time, and Frieza was stu just stuck there for all eternity, and he fucking hated it. He fucking hated every minute of it, because it was so nice and cute and peaceful, it made him sick. And that was his hell. That's kind of like the idea for me with Zamasu and Omni King, except Zamasu is alive. He he can't he can't even die to get away because he's immortal. He would the only way he'd be able to get out of it is he if he pulled something that forced him to get erased. If Omni King was like, oh, gotta delete you, you know. So now he's just put in check forever. There's no way he can escape. <laughs> Trunks and Mai go back to their timeline, and you know they once again have to start rebuilding. But because they had hope, because they had courage and the will to keep fighting, they will always be there to defend Earth and help it recover. Then Trunks doesn't have to lose his entire fucking timeline <laughs> and go to a different timeline where there's a different Trunks and a different Mai like they did in the actual arc. And I feel like that's not too complicated. I feel like I didn't make that too hard to do. They already had good like setup for these things to be done. 
only minor changes. Only minor, like extend the Vegito uh, versus Merge Zamasu fight. Make Merge Zamasu more like weakened in the, by the end of that fight. Force the fusion to split through the breaking of the earrings. Have Trunks win with an energy sword, but not a spirit bomb sword. Goku Black Side dies. Zamasu side is sealed. They give it to Aki King. Trunks and my go home the end. I feel like that would it would be a good way for fan service. It'd be a good way for callbacks because you could still have the fan service of Vegito Blue and a much better execution of it. You wouldn't really have to retcon the fusion earrings at that point. Uh, Trunks could still get the fan service dub of splitting Zamasu in half without it not making any sense. Rage form can be explained. I don't know how, but they should explain it. Um, Goku Black can die. They can have the nostalgia throwback of the evil containment wave succeeding. And they could still have the fan service of using the Omni button to give Zamasu the Omni King. Which is originally what I thought. When Goku got that Omni button and we found out the truth of Omni King and... Goku Black and stuff like or with uh, Zamasu and Goku Black and stuff. I thought they were going to seal Zamasu up and give him the Omni King as the playmate. That's what I thought was going to happen, and it didn't happen, and I was kind of surprised. But yeah, I feel like that would have wrapped up the arc nicely. Everyone could have been satisfied. The story could have concluded. There wouldn't have to be any crazy bullshit Deus Machina going on. Everyone lives happily ever after. That's how I would have ended it while keeping that fan service stuff of... Vegito and the evil containment wave and the Omni button and Trunks sword of hope all in. Um, well, that's where I'm going to end it. I just wanted to, you know, just wanted to, to sh bring that up, shout that out, talk about it, discuss. <laughs> but I hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed the talk. And. That, that's it. That's it. I don't know what else. I, I don't know how to end this one, honestly. I wanted to talk about fan service to give my opinions of it, and I ended up mainly talking about Fairy Tale. But I feel like that's okay, because, you know, Fairy Tale is a perfect example of fan service. So I think I'll call it. I'll call this episode Fairy Tale and the Idea of Fan Service. I think I'll do that, even though we talked about Dragon Ball Super a little bit at the end. I, f I feel like that's a fair title. But I'm going to end it here. Next week, what will we be talking about? What will we be talking about for the season finale? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'll figure it out when I get to that point. But I hope you enjoyed me ranting and rambling this week. Uh, thank you guys, as always. Thanks for all the love and support. I hope you're looking forward to whatever I have coming in the future. I hope we can grow in 2021 and really get things taken off and cracking. Um... Love you guys. Hope you enjoy your Friday. Hope you enjoy your weekend. And I hope you enjoy next week, and I'll see you then. Bye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Pose man, I pull up in that old jet.